Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Enterprise Linux Security, where I almost went live with the wrong branding on this one because you got to check the finer details. How you doing, Joe? All good. Uh, it's good to be back after some weeks off. Um, and yeah, let's get back into it because we have some interesting stories to talk about. Yes, we have a story about DRM in you know, managed by Google on the internet, which sounds like a great idea. But the stranger story is probably the shorter one that we'll talk about. We'll get to the Google thing in a minute, but the first one is even stranger. Um, the US Senate has a problem with encryption, but it's not <laughs> what you think. It's not that they, yeah. I mean, I don't know if they still want a backdoor, but it's not that. They're mad because there is a backdoor in something and they're angry and they want a probe into this situation, which, you know, is right. If there's a backdoor and it's going to cause a problem, I mean, it, as we've talked about on the podcast, backdoors are a problem. And what I'm, I'm specifically referring to is this Microsoft story uh, where Microsoft is at the center of this. And I'll let you take uh, the description because I think you have uh, a better way to put it. Um, so I'll just let you describe the story and then we'll get into it. Okay, so um, early in July, there was a hack that happened at Azure that affected Azure, that affected um, uh, the email service, and some government agencies' accounts got hacked, including State Department, Commerce Department, and some important people got their emails um, stolen or at least viewed without their permission. Um, this was not the first time that it had ha that it uh, had happened. The hack was attributed to Chinese-affiliated hackers, um, and apparently Senate, or specifically Senator Ron Wyden, is very angry about it and doesn't really understand Microsoft's security posture about it. And there are so many juicy details about this one, but there's one gem in particular that serves as a great example of why backdoors in encryption are always a, a bad idea. So at some point in his argument, the senator makes the point that he doesn't understand why Microsoft did not secure properly the skeleton key that would let them unencrypt or decrypt all the data. And that brings just a lot of problems into the table immediately. In the first place, why the hell is there a skeleton key that lets anyone decrypt all the, the data in a, specific, in a specific Azure tenant? Right. Yeah. Why is why does this exist? Why does this exist at all? Who thought it was a good idea and what were they thinking? <laughs> why is that necessary at all? Um, right. On a slight tangent uh, right here, and you guys know that I like to do some tangents on stuff. Um, right. Some people often worry when they're storing their data online, or uh, it doesn't matter if it's in the cloud or if it's on a non-premises server or whatever, are the sysadmins looking at my, at my data? My answer five years ago would have been, yeah, they could be looking at your data, but it's not that interesting, so they probably are not. So don't really worry about that. My answer today is that, yeah, they can still look at your data, but there are so many audits and alerts that get triggered if somebody looks at data that isn't theirs, that it would be flagged in 10 different systems. So yeah, don't worry about that. It's not the sysadmins that you should be worrying about looking at your data. Um, it's precisely stuff like this skeleton key allows that somebody else can look at that data. And they are asking for a whole probe in discovery about this whole thing, as they should. I mean, this th th I'm okay with all of that. Um, I'm not okay with the situation happening, obviously, because it shouldn't have happened in the first place. But I've read, I think, three different or three stories from three different websites about this, and 
the three that I read didn't bang a drum about this, and I don't know if maybe others have, but as we were talking before the podcast started, because we were doing the pre-show where we're talking about this, I'm like, we just have to record. I like literally stopped you in the middle of a sentence, and I'm like, we have too much energy. It's good energy. We need to hit that record button because we need to capture this. And one of the things that we mentioned is that, you know, we have a history of talking about in this podcast where government, you know, insert uh, country name here, government wants backdoor into encryption. And the United States is one of those. There's been people that really want this. And we tell them it's a, you know, a really bad idea for obvious reasons, because just because if there's a backdoor, then, you know, only good guys are going to use it, right? Well, that's not the way this works. And, you know, it's like in the security industry, we're banging the drum about this, but um, we have to also understand, and this is what a comment I made before, these individuals don't know technologies, so their experience with technology is they ask their sysadmin to do something, and if they're told no, they ask another one. And if that one is oppositional at all, it wants to bend some rules or something, they'll make it happen and, and impress them, maybe not in the best way. And they, they get this mindset that we are superheroes, which we kind of are, to be fair. Uh, and we could do some amazing things, but it almost gives them the impression that there's like nothing we can't do. But the reality is there's some things that we can do, but they can't be done in a way that is worth doing or that is secure. Having a backdoor is one of those. So as you know, in the case of the United States, they're asking for backdoor and do encryptions and things. Um, we keep saying no. But here we have a story where someone in the Senate is upset because there is a backdoor to encryption and it did allow data to leak. There's no better example in existence today for governments to look at to understand why this is a bad idea that I'm aware of personally. The, and it's the gov a government official that's banging the drum on this, which is great because maybe this will make other people, I'm hoping, say, oh, maybe those geeks were right about backdoors being a bad idea. And hopefully, I could hope at least, this is going to put a you know, damper in this whole backdoor all the things effort that they've had. But I also, and this is what I meant by I read three articles about this, not one of them that I've read drew this parallel. And I kind of feel like we need to bang a drum about this, like literally make sure they, they all understand this isn't just a Microsoft problem. This is an industry problem, and you're trying to create this problem with, you know, the laws and all of this. This is why you shouldn't. And we really need to make sure they understand this, because this is a perfect example. Absolutely. Um, right now, there is a law. I don't know if it has been approved or is still under review, but in the UK, precisely because they want, the government wants to have access to encrypted data. So they need uh, IT companies to provide them with a the backdoor into that encryption. Companies are threatening to pull out of the UK because obviously some people realize that what they are asking for is impossible to accomplish. There is no such thing as a backdoor that only you will ever know about. As soon as the backdoor is there, you know about it. Then somebody else will know about it because it worked on implementing it. Somebody else might leak that information away. Now the hackers know about it and now it gets hacked precisely like it happened here in this situation with Microsoft. So. It's exactly the, the perfect example whenever somebody brings, the, brings up the topic of why you should never have backdoors in encryption, point them to this story. Point them to Senate now being angry that Microsoft and the, the government emails being hacked and being read by Chinese or other foreign nationals because the backdoor existed, because a key existed that allowed for the decryption of all the data. 
that should never have been in place. And having had some experience with uh, online email and online email tied together with Azure like this, um, I do not require this being mandatory at the time that I did it. It has been some years now, but this is probably something that has been implemented after the fact, or I, at least I never was familiar with it. Um, but the fact that the, the key exists by itself, that shows that the service is not that dependable. That said, there are more, I'm gonna say interesting, but that's probably not the right word. There are other things that are being said um, by Senate people or people affiliated with the Senate people working on this problem. Um, and one of the complaints is that they are wondering why during the procurement process, why wasn't this discovered? Why weren't these flaws identified? And this brings to light another problem that we've discussed before that also ties into open source and Linux and every problem and every type of project. Just because you have access to the source and in the case of Microsoft, when there's it's this type of big, uh, big players and big customers, they will give you access to the source so that you can check it as a requirement to, to getting the contract done. Um, so people will have uh, had access to this. I don't know if all of it, a part of it, whatever. Um, I don't think it, people understand the, the effort and the amount of work that it's required to analyze a code base like Exchange, for example, or Azure, for example, that would have been required to be examined for this to be found. The people that coded the program in the first place couldn't find it, so that's why they left the flow in. So an outside contractor that has a month or two to do a review will never have found this. And it's hard to, to get this message across, and it's probably why people from Senate are complaining about it, because they don't understand the difficulty that this is, that this requires, this type of work requires. Um, it's a problem. Very large code bases like this are impossible to be audited in a reasonable time frame. I wonder, do you want do you th do you wonder if they're talking about security questionnaires or did they actually mention code audit? Security questionnaires are part of all of this type of contract, so that's standard. But you're obviously asking a company, hey, do you implement this type of encryption or this type of? You don't go into the details. You don't look at the code. You don't. Do you have flaws in your code? No, of course not. <laughs> But I, but I wonder if uh, when he says procurement process, first thing I think of, and, and I'm not sure if I'm correct here, but and I've seen this, and you have too, obviously, where, you know, it, let's just say an MSP is going to get a contract for a company to host their stuff, the company will probably give them a questionnaire. Do do you store encryption keys? Where do you store encryption keys? Does your email service use encryption? Do you apply encryption? Even after your proxy, is it like straight through encrypting all the things? They have all these questions. So I almost wonder if there's a question, you know, is the security key easy to, not, not easy to compromise, but is it in a secure location? There's questions that are answered. The problem is that they want the deal, right? Yes, or, oh yeah, we absolutely have that. We absolutely have that. But the reason why these questionnaires exist in the, in the procurement process is to try to identify these things before someone decides to use a platform. And that's a, even if that he wasn't talking about this, that also is something that could be asked too. Like you're saying, like with other companies, we secure our keys the right way. Well, apparently not. Um, you, you kind of weren't. <laughs> I mean, so, you answer this type of questionnaires in good faith. You're trying to do the yeah. deal. You're not trying to 
manipulate anybody. At least I assume you're not. You're trying Unless to be Unless the honest. sales rep that is evil does it. But, but yeah. still, let's assume that that's no. not the, the point. Right. When you're asked about that, of course you're going to say no. Your product was designed to be secure. It was designed to properly secure keys. This was a flaw. This was a mistake. You're not supposed to know about the mistake. If you had known about it, you would have fixed it. So of course you're going to say no on that questionnaire. The problem is you have no way of actually going through the code and validating all of the answers because it's not humanly possible to do it. Even if you bring automated tools and all of that, do you think Microsoft hasn't done that before, before releasing this to the public? Of course they've checked it. Um, so th that's the problem with this type of things. It's impossible to validate 100% that this doesn't happen. And then there's the other point. If this is a backdoor, you're not going to be come out into the open and talk about the backdoor. <laughs> if the government mandates you to have a backdoor on encryption, when you're answering a questionnaire about this, you're probably under an NDA that you can't mention the backdoor. So you're not going to mention it anyway. Um, so you see the, the catch-22 situation here. You're not, it is a catch-22, yep. You can talk about it, so you don't disclose it, but then you're caught in the act of using it or at least getting the key stolen and being affected by it. I'm not implying that Microsoft operated in any bad faith here, but... Right. We're talking about the general yeah, industry flaws, way it's Flaws been. exist. Yeah. It's software. Software has bugs. We all know about it. We deal with those every single day. Um, but being now surprised that the backdoor is bad and has caused all this type of problem, that's something that shouldn't happen. Um, you shouldn't have the backdoor in the right. first place. And, and I, I, yeah, it's just amazing that to me, I mean, it's not amazing that this happened, obviously, because I don't want anyone's stuff to be stolen. I mean, I literally love doing this podcast at the same time. I wish we didn't have a reason to do the podcast because no one would get hacked and nobody would have a problem. But that's the not not the world we live in today. Um, but that that being said, we have, you know, someone complaining in the Senate about encryption the right way. They, they have the right idea. This is a problem. There's a backdoor what's what's going on here and the same thing we ask if, if they didn't ask this question obviously we're going to ask that question what, what why did they have the key but someone on the inside of the government um which is surprising to me because often there's a stereotype that um they don't know technology well and for them to be asking the right questions i think is pretty impressive and like we were saying it, it is a great example of why this is a bad idea to have this kind of thing so i really hope people are taking notes here yeah absolutely so, yeah, this was the story that we wanted to open on because, it, again, great showcase of a really bad practice. But the, the main story that we have for today is actually one that you suggested. Um, it's regarding web environment integrity. And integrity always reminds me of Tegrity Farms from South Park. Don't know why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes the word integrity can give me a little bit of anxiety because it's like if you had to... I mean, specifically call out that this is for integrity, is it? Or are you using this word to make people think that? So let, let's get into the story a little bit here. And one thing I want to put as a disclaimer here, or not disclaimer, but just to make sure we set the stage here, because someone in the chat room, I, I can't find it now, but they asked uh, or mentioned that they disabled DRM in Firefox. Now, that's that could be a topic in and of itself for another episode, but that's not the DRM we're talking about today. Whether you d disable that, you, you probably should. I don't know. It's another story. But what we're talking about is something that is not in play right now. It's, it's not in production. It's not being used. It's not an actual thing. It's something that Google um, apparently wants to be a thing. So 
Essentially, there's a GitHub repository, and from the articles I've read, they're saying there's like a year's worth of work in there where they're coming up with this um, web, in web integrity protection, which is supposed to, um, according to them at least, I'm just telling you what their mindset is based on what you know I've heard from that side or based on the GitHub page um, that I read when you linked it to me earlier. The situation is they want to make it attestable that there's an actual human using the web browser in that session. Now, why is that important? Well, if, you know, when it comes to bots, they could use a web session or programmatically navigate a website, which, you know, clicking on ads when there's not anyone there that's going to really buy anything because it's a bot or there's, there's all kinds of things that reasons why this might be important, but there's good ways of solving something. There's terrible ways of solving something. And then there's facepalm ways of solving something. So someone um, basically discovered this in the GitHub page. I don't think that, as far as I know anyway, Google has come forward and says, hey, we want to do this and this is what we're doing. The that, It's there if you find it, but it's not like a notice on google.com or anything. And the idea is that you'll have an attester, a third party, that'll establish whether or not there's truly a person behind the web browser. If there is, they get a token that, you know, kind of like verifies that they passed this test from this attester that they, they can now be allowed to use websites. Uh, if they don't have this, then websites can block them. Now, there is one very legitimate use case for programmatically navigating websites. I just want to shine a little bit of light on because this is important and not something people think of often. When you maintain or are working on a web app of any kind. It's not uncommon, and you probably already know where I'm going with this, to use something with sel like Selenium to test the web, right, so to test the website as like a, a, a big test before a release. You wanna make sure that the login page works. So you're gonna have a script that this logs in and then sends you a message, check login process works, or navigate to the stores page and add this item to the shopping cart, take a screenshot, of the item in your shopping cart, which proves that somebody could add that item to the shopping cart. So there's all these tests that people do before releasing software, especially web apps, where they just have something just go crazy through all of this, test this, test that, throw a bunch of simulated users at it. And this is a valid way to test something before releasing it to users, because you're never gonna simulate, as we talked about before, real user traffic. It's impossible. The best you could do is have like, 40,000 or some crazy number of automated uh, tests running at the same time, pretend like they're users. Yeah, we could probably survive 40,000 users. That's valid, okay? That's, a lot of people do that. If it's forced that there's an attester, then that stops people from being able to do tests. Now, if they themselves are the developer, they could allow this and just have like maybe a backdoor, here we go again, um, to, to do this. But if it's like a third party testing it for someone else, he may not have the capability of um, validating the session or convincing them that they should have an automated test makes testing harder. But that's not even the, the issue here. The issue mainly is we have an ad company even though they're saying a third party attesters to validate there's a human behind the computer, like who's choosing the attesters? How do they determine that the web session is, is good? Will they allow you to use Brave or Vivaldi or will they insist that you use one of the um, top browsers? Maybe it's limited to Google Chrome and Safari and Edge or something like that. And maybe Firefox or something. But then there comes a point where you can't view web pages on 
a, a different browser also means you could have a desktop widget that no longer works because it can't pull anything automatically. Um, you know, if you have that kind of thing going on, which is a very little importance overall. But the idea is Google keeps coming out with these harebrained schemes of changing the internet and they keep backfiring and they fail hard and then they come out with another one. And I think that's why people are really looking at this, even though Google hasn't really came out with a total intent and timeline yet, because we're kind of like, uh, they have a history of doing this and this is a very egregious, and as, as I'm sure you're about to mention, because I know some of the things you want to mention, um, literally everything they say in this spec is just BS. <laughs> From the first line. Um, right. Yeah, so let's start with the, the context for this. We have a bot problem. We, as all the internet users, we have a bot problem. And that's legit. That's been recognized. Everybody knows that we have a bot pro problem, whether it's fake reviews on Amazon, it's fake posts on social network, it's fake likes somewhere. Bots are ruining lots of stuff that we use and depend on. That's established, whether it's spam, whatever. What they have right now, it's... I don't know why they don't, didn't make a formal request for comments uh, document, but this is in the spirit of a request for comments. Um, and the way that they phrased this, the way that they prepared this document is trying to make it look like it's a benefit to the end user. At the same time, none of the things that they describe is actually of benefit to the end user. It's always of benefit to the website or to the advertisers or to the people with uh, ads. And I'm not against the ads. Uh, I use an ad blocker myself, but I'm not against the ads. Uh, companies are perfect, perfectly legitimately in their right to display ads and prepare ads and show ads to people that might be interested in the content that they are showing. And that's perfectly fine. I'm not against that. Um, but the only thing that seems to benefit from this proposal seems to be Google's own ability to display ads to the users. Let's go through this, not line by line, but I want to cover at least uh, the introduction. So and they start off by saying that users often depend, and I'm reading it from the website, users often depend on websites trusting the client environment that they run in. No, they don't. That's why we have lots of technologies like certificates and encryption and authentication tokens, because we do not trust anything. There's no trust in the internet. That's why we have encryption and validation and all of these technologies precisely because we do not trust and we should not trust that the, the, the connection on the other side reaches who we are thinking it does. We do not want to trust the other system. We want to make sure that we can verify that the other system is who they claim they are, and that's why we have, for example, certificates that display that uh, lock on your address bar there. Um, so immediately from the start, the, their whole proposition assumes that Trust is a requirement of the environment, and it's not. And starting <laughs> the first bullet point, they have a series of four bullet points after the, this line about trust. Users like visiting websites that are expensive to create and maintain, but they often do not want to pay for it directly. So literally, users use ad block, and that's bad. That's what they're writing with all of those fancy words. Users don't... They accidentally gave it away. Yeah. Users do not care if the website they are visiting is expensive or expensive to maintain or costly to maintain. That's not a concern of the users. That's a concern of the entity running the website. 
in addition, expensive is real is relative. A million dollars to me is expensive. A million dollars to Google is chump change. Um, expensive is a relative term here. You cannot qualify something as expensive or not without giving the rest of the, the context for that to be valued. Um, and again, right here they give you the, the, the real reason for this, for this whole change that they are proposing. It's ad blocking. They want to get rid of ad blocking. Um, they keep trying to paint this as if it's required by the users when it's clearly just stop just to stop ad blocking and nothing more. And while I understand that ads are their business model and that are their bread and butter and how Google makes money, um, it's in their best interest, not the users. It's disingenuous to write this proposal in such a way that it feels like it's the users that's going to benefit from it. No, they're not. Right, and I make a living off of ad revenue. And I block ads, okay? I just want to put that on the table here. And, and the, the problem is not, I mean, yeah, we're using ad blockers. Why are we using ad blockers? Because ads are intrusive, they block what you're reading, they disrupt the experience, they make it nearly impossible to, you know, use a web page. If they had, if we enforced ads are, you know, not something that's constantly driving us batty, Maybe it would be better, but instead, if, if we don't enforce these ad companies to not uh, put blinky, flashy things over the blog articles that we're reading, maybe ads would be better for everyone, but we're solving the wrong problem. But anyway, I can go on another tangent on that. Yeah, and that's precisely the, the, the point that I want to get to. I understand that the other interested party here are the advertisers. Companies like mine run ads and we want to show them to interested humans, not to bots that just click and make us pay without actual any return on it. And we also want to defeat the bots. That's a given. Everybody hates the bots. We all want to get rid of them. But this isn't an approach that will guarantee that. Um, if anything, this will ensure that Google has more control over your browsing experience. Because right now, if you think about it, Google controls the web browser that you use. If you're running Chrome, it's theirs, it's not yours. They control what extensions you can deploy. Um, they run the, the extension store or whatever they call it, but the place where you get the extensions is controlled by Google. Uh, <laughs> as a quick hint, experiment, try to download the file for an, for an extension and you'll see that Chrome will flag it as malicious, not the, anti the antivirus, but Chrome itself, regardless of what the extension is. If you download the file for an extension to try and install it manually, it will be deleted as soon as the download finishes. And try to get around that. It's an interesting five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I went over that just a couple of days ago, so that's why I remember that. Um, so, the real benefit, the real intention here is to, to get rid of something that they can't seem to get rid any other way, which is about not Google, not Meta, not uh, Twitter. They cannot get rid of the bots and they have a problem and they are trying anything and everything to try and stop it. But again, they're starting with all the wrong, the wrong ways to go about it. Exactly. What they're doing is, and, and a lot of companies are guilty of this, if we put this into context, Companies, especially Google, they're working really hard to cure the symptom. They are not looking at the underlying cause of the problem almost ever. They're always trying to fix the end result. But 
who like who what all companies are really trying to go to the source of the problem and correct it there not very many and this one is essentially the same thing it's trying to fix the end result the symptom of the issue it does not fix the issue next up and we're still in the introduction <laughs> they go on a tirade about how users are sometimes tricked into installing malware that imitates software like their banking apps and I fail to see how implementing any of this will prevent a malicious actor from faking a website that looks like your banking website and tricks you into visiting it, say to DNS poisoning or through some random URL that they, you get sent in email. Where do you get protected if you, this is implemented? It doesn't even come into the, the solution. Yes, it does, and I'll tell you why. Because what hackers, if the, in a world where this is in effect, what hackers are going to do when they create this um, look-alike website that looks like your bank website, they're going to include in the code an instruction to have the user get attested during the process. So that way the hacker knows there's actually a real person logging into this fraudulent bank account that they created. It's, it's absolutely going to tie in. And you know, just as well as I do, the hacker, the threat actor, is going to be snickering and maybe even laughing hysterically, because this is funny, that they're going to utilize this technology to help themselves. And they're going to do this, and they're not going to hide the fact either. They're probably going to put that one tidbit out in the open, just as like, a um, FU to Google, basically. Uh, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Yeah, thanks for keeping all the bots away from our fake website. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so that was the introduction to it. None of it holds any water. So let's right. move on. So there are three components to this, to this that they are proposing. You would have the web browser, you already do. You would have the website, you already do. And then they are introducing this tester that you mentioned before. So an attester right. is a piece of software that can be run remotely. And they give an example of Google Play API, for example, that can serve as an attester, has functions for that. Or the operating system itself can provide the attesting function. So your browser could ask the operating system to attest that it's a real user in front of the screen and then send that token that validates that back to the website. Keep in mind that this is only a one-way street. So only the website gets to validate you. There's no function there that helps the user validate that the website is actually real. So again, none of this benefits the user directly. There's no benefit for the user for any of this. So the um, <laughs> another interesting thing, they give the example of uh, Android here. So you could have your browser running on Android and then you could use the, the Google API for the, the attester and then the website would know that you're running on a trusted device. So if you rooted your phone, tough luck, you're no longer seeing the website because it's no longer being trusted. Because the moment that they allow a rooted device to be trusted, it means that the piece of software that, giving the, that is giving the attestation can be under the control of the user. So I can create my own attestation software, use it in the middle, and then create my own token. And yes, of course I'm real. I'm not the bot. I'm mighty and powerful. Trust me. I'm a user. And yeah, so they will never trust rooted devices. For the same reason, 
you, we might not have meant much luck on the Linux side of things because while Microsoft can keep their software stored and protected in random kernel levels, um, on Linux you have degrees of control that you don't have on other operating systems. So it would be almost trivial to code your own attestation function or software that would return or modify whatever existing one is provided for Linux in order to always claim to be true and return a positive result to the website. So there are many things here that are not really feasible in the way that they are promoting them. One of the ones that I like a lot that in a, in a, a dark humor kind of way, because it's just, it's just so bogus, but I'll read it verbatim from their GitHub page. Users playing a game on a website want to know whether other players are using software that enforces the game's rules. First of all, gamers don't play games and websites first. Um, second, show me a single PC gamer. L introduce me to one, just one, that is in favor of DRM when they play their game. I guarantee, I can't, I mean, every time I, I look at PC gaming communities, even like eSports, DRM is never talked about in a positive light. Yes, it is true that, you know, someone doesn't want to be like annihilated because it's not a real human on the other end, but that's not Google's problem to solve. It's the, whoever made the game, it's their, they need to figure out who's cheating. Like, like no one's like, gee, I wish Google would fix this problem that this other software company has while I'm playing this game. And I'll tell you one thing that no gamer wants, okay? And you could correct me if I'm wrong on this. You want to sit down and play a game. You're done with work. It's time for your time. You want to play a game. You sit down to do this. You boot up the game and you have to wait for an attester. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm having leisure time after work, I want to turn it on and start playing. I don't want to worry about anything. Just let me play the, the game. And most PC gamers are, it's their, their it's either their hobby, it's, it's, it could be esports, but they just want it. They just want to play the game. They don't want all this drama. It's their escape from the drama. And now Google's trying to say, "Yeah, users playing a game on a website wants to know that no one's using DRM." Like it's just not the conversation that PC gamers are having. It's not the user's concern. Again, that's a problem with the game developers. That's right. If a game allows for cheaters to play the game and has no way to boot them or to detect them, then that's a problem with the game developers. And they are the ones that are going to be hit by bad reviews and by players not playing their game. That's not the user. The, the user's complaining that there are cheaters in a game. That's a symptom, a symptom of the game having that issue. So again, you're not solving the problem for the user. You're solving the problem for the game developer. And Come on, you make lots of money on your games. Medal of Honor and Call of Duty and all of those don't have enough resources, the teams behind it, to end cheating. So that's why I'm going to have to fill a capture or take my screenshot in front of my webcam or use biometrics or whatever else method the attester that they want to use or that they recognize is going to require. Because at the end of the day, this might end up just being another capture, just shown by your, <laughs> your operating system. But it's another step it's another step that you get in front of legitimate users when you should be fighting the other guys. So you're going to be punished because the bots exist. The, the legitimate users are the ones that are going to feel the pain because the bots exist. It's the bots' fault. It's not mine. I shouldn't be punished for this. I shouldn't have to go through the motions just because you want to get rid of the bots. You're hitting the wrong target. It's just so many avenues here. Like I, I, I As we were discussing before the thing... Um, if you sit down with non-technical people like us, 
the you know average people that don't do IT for a living. They do something else, and and they're you know all sitting in a room talking. And they're complaining about technology. They're not complaining about any of the things that Google is saying that these people want. Not one. Of, I mean, they're complaining because their Facebook timeline isn't in the right order. They're complaining because this website has a bigger login button than this other one, and they can't seem to find it because it's too small, or the text size is too big here and too small. I mean, they have a lot of complaints, non-computer people, right? And they're they're valid too. But they're not complaining, gee, I really wish there was someone to check that my session was legitimate before I'm allowed on a website. Like, not, I don't think I've heard a single person complain about that. But what we're, where we are, where we, excuse me, where we are with this is, again, we're trying to solve the symptom and not the problem. It's like I have a leaking pipe that's dripping water all over my kitchen. I call a plumber and they try to sell me a dehumidifier. That's what this is. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be something like that. Um, and this is just the description of what they want to do. They also have a section where they describe possible issues with this approach. And there are so many. But one of the, the things that they mention here is a potential problem here, this cross-site tracking. Suppose you visit a website that has this implemented. So you're required to attest that you, you're a human and you will be sending. Because the token is not just, yes, you're a human, no, you're not a human. The, the, the token will have that information plus a number of attributes of your system. Say, for example, what extensions you have deployed, what resolution you're using, stuff like that, that the website can require. Again, this is a one-way street. You cannot require anything from the website, only the website can require from you or from your attester. You don't talk directly to the website on this process, you only talk to the, the attester and then the attester prepares the token that the browser sends back. Um, we can get into a situation where we have uh, browser fingerprinting all over again. Um, when cookies started to be frowned upon, advertisers lost their mind because they would not be able to track the users, so they wouldn't be able to track who they wanted to advertise to and know where they go and what sites they visit and all of that. So web browser developers, and actually advertisers, went through a lot of work and find ways or found ways around that. So they look at stuff like your screen resolution, your list of installed extensions and versions, your operating system, the amount of RAM that you have, um, stuff like that, number of cores that your CPU has. With all of those informations, you can almost always uniquely identify a user. It's not just that, it's more variables than that. Because they don't establish a limit, or they haven't established a limit yet on, the, on this proposal, on the amount of variables that can go in the token, you can get into a situation where the website can request all of the information, and then um, if they say run multiple websites that are under the same company, for example, share that token with other websites so that when you visit the other ones, they can, oh, that's the same user that visited the other website. Now I know that he also goes to this one and I know what pages he visits. So there's again tracking possibilities here. Um, yep. It's not that people hated cookies. What people really hated was being tracked. And this is just a different way of doing it. It, it's you're so spot on. It's it's just it's mind-boggling when a company like Google can have like Mandiant and talk like high-level security and, and all these things, but then also Google has someone doing this. It's it's just 
at one you know at one moment they're they're good at at one thing or they're saying the right things about something and then the next thing they're invalidating themselves because they're trying to push something that is a terrible idea and it's just baffling to me like google keeps trying this and and i couldn't remember the name of um you know this other thing google was trying to push i think it was uh i think it was jeff in our chat room that mentioned it's flock that's what i was talking about like like they were trying to push that some time ago and that was a disaster but now it's like um, they're they're going again, and I, I do want to actually make sure that um, everyone heard the part where I said that Google is not right now saying, "Hey, this is something we want to do, and we're going to implement it." Okay, this is something in their GitHub page, which normally would just be something in a GitHub page, and we wouldn't even think twice about it unless it was going to become or, or getting more traction. The problem is Google has a history of doing these types of things. And this is the same kind of thing, but as a different thing. So of course, we're gonna be very much like having our eyes on this because we don't want another flock situation to even get as far as it did. And at the end of the day, you might be creating just another walled garden. In this case, you're gonna be separating the websites that implement this from the ones that don't. And you're gonna be separating the users that use a browser that satisfies this and the ones that don't. So ones won't be able to view the, the websites that are in the walled garden. And that's always bad. I'm, from a principle stand, I'm always against walled garden situations in IT. That has always ended poorly. Um, but it seems like it's the way that this is being driven and the way that this is going. This seems like, this reads like a request for comment, but it's in a stage where they have put a lot of effort into it. So it's not just an idea that's being floated around. I'm sure there has been code developed for this. They actually have code samples for this on how this could be implemented. Um, and then there's the, the whole position that Google has here. Uh, remember when I said before, they control the browser, they control the extensions they can control the websites because the websites are running Google Ads, the websites are running Google Tracking and Google Statistics and all of that. And they can come out and say, okay, unless your website also implements this, we cannot let you run Google Ads or Google Tracking because we have no way of knowing if you're showing it to bots or you're showing it to humans. So you either implement this or you'll lose Google Ads and Google Track and Google Statistics. And that's bad because they're present on the vast majority of websites out there. So they have the, the pushing power to actually get this implemented really quickly if they want to. Um, or else your website won't open on Chrome. And that, again, that's a pain for the, the website, the websites, because they lose a lot of traffic and they won't be able to stand it. Um, so Google is in a position that if they are serious about this and if they want to bring this along, this will happen. Um, it might just leave a lot of people out in the rain. But it is such a slippery slope, too, because um, what what they fail to understand is that our devices are intimate to us in the way that we set them up to run like we want. We, you know, we have the font size a certain way. We have maybe a certain set of icons in an easy-to-reach location in our, on our computer. We have the software that we want. We, we, if we are advanced, we might tune a few settings to maybe get some, you know, more performance out of it. We, we make a computer ours. It's kind of like our digital home is inside our computer, and then someone wants to control whether our device is allowed to receive information. And then it's like, well, what's next? Are we gonna get to a situation where we have to bring our laptop to an office where they will look at it 
and verify we're a human. Obviously we're there, we're human. We're not Cylon, I don't think there's Cylons yet. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll take the device in there. Oh, you're running a, a Chromebook, okay. Oh, you got a MacBook, that's fine. And Google Chrome, no problem. Microsoft Edge, okay, you're good. Um, what is this operating system you're running and what is System76 exactly? I've never heard of that. I can't let you on the internet because uh, that's not one of my um, brands here. Oh, you built a computer yourself. Yeah, sorry, we can't do that. Because if you built it yourself, you could have like put something in there that'll, no, 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 you, you can't build your own computer. No, we can't allow that. Like, where does this end, right? I, I think that's like obviously a stupid scenario that'll probably never happen. I hope not, but at the culmination of all of this, to verify that we're who we say they are, um, there's no way to do that without losing control over the devices that we've purchased. Yeah, that's absolutely the the bottom line here. It's about control. I mean, we paid a lot of US pesos for this, for the devices that we're using. We like them very much just the way they are. And they're ours. You have no right to decide how the hell we're using them. Uh, what gives you the, the goal to come and ask for a to ask us if we're human or not. Come on, I might have written software that just wants to click that damn button every now and then. And that just happens to be on a website. It's my software. If you don't like bots, please go after the bots. Now, don't make users, regular users, pay for this. Don't make regular users suffer for this. And what's being mentioned in the, on the chat about DRM? Yeah, it's not just about the ads. You can be sure that if this gets pushed, all of the services like Netflix and HBO Max and all of that that you can watch on the browser will require you to have this, or else you won't be able to stream their content. Because this can be used to, to attestate that you're the user viewing it so that you don't share an account and you're not running software that they don't want. Because that's the other thing. I haven't mentioned this yet and it's important they need to trust the software that is running on the device. So it's not just the browser that they will see. They will know what software is also running right next to the web browser so that you're not using, say, software to capture the screen when you're watching a movie and recording it locally. Uh, they want control over that as well. At the end of the day, this is about control. Which means that your Raspberry Pi that you have hooked up to the TV right now will stop being able to sign into Netflix. That's essentially what this means. I mean, how many people in our audience right now, uh, probably a lot, have some sort of custom device that they've hooked up to their TV? Now that doesn't work, great. Um, you know, well, exactly, right? And both both you and I have probably more than <laughs> several, like more than a dozen even. But, um, you know, it's like imagine if my RetroPie can't get online to download the latest, uh, you know, scrapes of ROMs because I can't be allowed to fetch information from a, a device that nobody understands, right? Because if a smaller percentage of people use it, then uh, there's not incentive for them to take it into account. So... These types of things, again, I think what I come down to is that companies need to stop going after the symptom and instead go after the problem. There's no solution to a problem that you don't attack at its source, period. Yeah, and bots are definitely a problem. It's just that this is not the solution. This will not solve the problem. This will only make it harder for regular users to actually be online and visit the websites that they want to visit. And then they're just going to hate the internet, like the average computer user is going to hate the internet even more than they do. That's what this is going to accomplish. And that also means that their family members are going to be called way more often about computer problems than they ever were called on before. Um, you might have to start ch you know, charging your mother-in-law money. I'm just saying, I know you don't want to, but it's going to get to a point. Um, of course, I joke, but you know that is kind of the world we live in. And um, you know, it's, it's, I don't 
personally see this going very far my, on my end because you know we're pretty much attacking this and they, they got their comments whether it's a request for comments or not they're, they're getting comments right now and we're already kind of like covering this before it's even a public um, effort so um, while I don't really necessarily think this is going to make it I don't think the idea dies with this though I, I think that this is just a step but there's still going to be efforts. There's still going to be things that people try. I think the biggest moral here is to keep an eye on all of the things like this. Make sure that they don't get very far by asking, and the, the way you do this, the way you prevent this is not to threaten anybody or cause a problem. The way you prevent this is just asking honest questions. Like, Question after question, put it up to scrutiny, and um, that's what you do, and it won't last. Uh, but we have to put this for up for scrutiny at the earliest possible opportunity, so we get some you know transparency that we may not have had, and we get a chance to let them know why this is a terrible idea. They probably there's probably a million ways that they could probably do a better job at something like this, but I don't think anyone really wants it to be Google that's solving this problem. It's like you ever like have a a friend or family member, you're trying to solve a problem and that they're not good at, oh, never fear, I'm here and I'm going to help you solve this. Uh, who asked you? Uh, no, 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 no. Could you just sit down? Like, Google is that person. Like, we're going to help solve this. And we're like, we never asked you to do that. I mean, Google's positioning is actually pretty good if they come up with a good solution for this. And the problem needs to be solved. It's just that they haven't found the right solution yet. And it's not this one. Um, but the position that they're in, the, the strengths that they're having the internet, they are very well positioned to fix the problem if they put their resources into this. I mean, controlling the browsers, controlling ad spend, controlling lots of money that flows around on the internet, they're well positioning to fix and to address the, the problem with the bots, even the spammers. The spammer accounts that come from Gmail, man, they're controlling Gmail themselves. They could fix that if they wanted. Um, well, do you remember Gmail FS? People have some crazy things like before Google Drive, like people were building apps just to store actual files split between emails. I mean, we, we have ways of doing clever things and there's a lot of creative people in the industry. If, if you would just ask us, maybe we might have some ideas and they might even be good ones. <laughs> Who knows? Some days we might even have good ideas. Um, but yeah, this is something that, uh, that, oh, and one last thing, I was thinking about it and then I forgot. They actually have three testimonials, if you want to call it, or three feedback from three implementers. I don't know who the implementers are. They don't say who they are, but they have three responses from implementers. The first one has a positive feedback. I would guess it's the Edge team. The second one didn't even re reply. I would bet it's the Firefox people. And the third one is negative. Opera, for example, probably, or Safari didn't even want to hear about it. But yeah, three responses all mixed. So yeah, it's not universally liked for sure. And they are probably not moving along until they have some more positives on this. But so far, again, if they want to, they can implement it themselves and the websites will have to follow suit. But the, the rest of the web browser will probably don't like it very much. Yeah, I guess whoever is behind this is, doesn't seem to me very good at creating, you know, a, a workable or common sense policy to do this. So maybe we, they should just take their energy and put it somewhere else, like making Google Maps work and, and stop with all these random bugs and actually stabilize their software. Because if they have energy to come out with this, they could probably be fixing problems that people are complaining about. But let's just go on GitHub and create some policy that's going to create a stir around the industry. I mean, man. <laughs> it's like they're reading a page from Red Hat's book. 
Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so you went there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Final word there. <laughs> Promise you, I won't take it any further. Um, okay. This is a really interesting story. Uh, so if you're ever in a position that you can influence this, or if you're just paying attention to the changes that are happening, uh, keep your eye out for something like this. This is the type of things that really shouldn't be allowed to move forward. Um, exactly. Thank you very, very much for joining. As always, it was a pleasure to be here again with you guys. And until the next one. See you soon.